if you ever get a pint size all-star action figure <laughs> and it sells tremendously well so well that you have to talk to your therapist about how and what do you do with all this love that people have shown you oh jesus <laughs> christ whatever you do do not go bed shopping two days afterwards because you will think that you're entitled to comfort <laughs> and do not go bed shopping when you have had like a lot of pain in your lower back because I swear to God, the second that the bed salesman hit that vibrate button on the Tempur-Pedic and told me like, hey, this could be your every day. You forget. Like, you forget what money is. I mean, I'm not going to like deplete my savings, but I'm definitely going to go over budget on this one. And this could be my every day. Um, yeah, I, I would say that I'm regretting my decision yet because uh, I haven't really paid for it all yet. Once I get everything laid out uh, in my red and black bedroom, which will either become uh, the kinkiest bedroom on the block or my masturbation chamber, I don't know. Oh. We, we'll see how that all. We'll see how that lays out. But, but yeah, so I'm 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 trying to accept uh, love and affection from people, and I'm also trying to get love and affection in my new bedroom on my vibrating bed. I don't understand why a guy who mostly sleeps in tents would need a fancy bed. Oh, ooh, good question. Good or question. are you not living your gimmick, you liar? Ah! Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm I'm living my gimmick more so because I've I've wanted to do something interesting. Uh, Tempopod exclusive. Oh. I've wanted to do this thing with the Man Scout where I start slipping in ideas that maybe not everything is done on the straight and narrow. Uh. Because of you, you see all these, of course, like right wing conservative that are usually the first ones to be the toe tappers this in a Minneapolis airport. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, gosh, what was that? Chairman Steele of the Republican committee, like all that, like just freaky sex he was having from dominatrix and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I've always wanted to do that with the, the man scout, like these little things out there. Like, Ooh, wait a minute. This, this guy who's very wholesome, like he's got a side like this to him. The man scout is more like Effie behind closed doors than anything else. But yeah, he walks around, makes sure his man scout shirts tucked in and buttoned up appropriate. <laughs> and, the, and the gig line is present. Like those things. Like I've, I've wanted to dabble around with that character and the idea of that, like this guy who's supposed to be very buttoned up, but yet there's this very unique side to him behind closed doors. Man scout going through the gold dust Luna master slave gimmick coming to a promotion near you all by himself. <laughs> but this is Tim Bell pod and I am Nick Alexander and we are joined as always by Michael Lovett. I'm wearing my official vintage Eddie Guerrero Latino heat Eddie 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 shirt. And now that I say this, I probably should have brought it up on the other part for WWF. But <laughs> what can I do now? And we are, of course, joined by he camps, he scouts, he sleeps in a sex dungeon, apparently. Yeah. The man scout, Jake Maddie. That's right. And he will probably steal a Latino heat hooded sweatshirt from the office that's just been sitting <laughs> randomly on the floor for a month now uh, oh. because it has gotten chilly. And we're doing this episode on Eddie Guerrero and we will talk about some LWO. I really want one of the Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler shirts. It looks oh, like right. it was made on Microsoft Paint. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like such a so bad, but it's so cool. Chavo rocked it so well. You mean all the NXT shirts now? <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. When we last left off on Eddie Guerrero, he and Dean Malenko had just burned the house down in ECW on their way to WCW. 
and Eddie would kick off his WCW run wrestling just three of the best to ever do it. Dean at a WCW Saturday night taping August 30th, 95. He'd face Jushin Liger at a WCW main yeah. event taping. And of course, Alex Wright on a WCW main event. Oh, shut your fucking mouth. Alex Wright, show some goddamn respect, Alex Wright. I agree with Jake. <laughs> I agree with Jake. Best entrance music possibly of all time? Oh, best of, like, on a video game? You know, if you want to pick a player and they would get that kind of promo to sell <laughs> yeah. you on picking them? Like, Alex Wright, I think it was either on the, the WCW Nitro or the Thunder game. He would be, he'd be turned to the side, which you can't see on the podcast. He would, like, turn from like, his shoulder facing the camera, and then he would turn square to the camera and go, that's right. I wrestle just like real Germans do. Like, <laughs> you know, huh? the Germans. I wrestle just like real Germans do. Like, what? <laughs> I'm German and I'm offended. <laughs> After some dark matches, Eddie would have his first WCW Nitro TV match against Dean October 2nd, 1995. And if you just want a moi sum up of WCW, you have Eddie making his TV debut. Dean, I think, also making his TV debut. Two guys who just set the wrestling world on fire in Japan and in ECW. And you have these two great stars. They're coming in. You're putting them over. You're giving them this TV match. And in the middle of it, you cut to fucking Hulk Hogan for like eight minutes. What a sign of things to come for WCW. It's not, I, I, I was laughing throughout your buildup because I knew what you're getting to, but they don't even do a split screen. They just yeah, cut just away so from the God. entire fucking match. <laughs> it's also, just to make it more surreal, you got Mongo McMichael commentating Malenko Guerrero. Don't worry, I'm actually going to give Mongo some love later. So I'm not shitting on him, Jake, I'm not shitting on him. Okay, <laughs> hold back, because this brings me up to a point that I should have brought on one of the cold opens. Uh, sidebar, uh, the Labor Day Celathon, which thank you for everybody for participating in the Labor Day Celathon, especially you, Jim Rinson, and Daniel Bessels, new Patreon members. Yeah. But also, too, I had the opportunity to sit down with Arn Anderson and talk for about an hour while we auctioned off some Holy of those items. And, and as I told Nicholas that I had Arn Anderson at my disposal on camera, to ask about whatever I wanted for my like my entire life of loving Arn Anderson. I could ask him about anything. Oh, boy. I wanted to talk about Steve Mongo McMichael and how he's a good wrestler and why people don't understand how good he is. I, I put that on camera. Oh, I stood by it. Arn disagreed with me. And then I came back and I said, well, you know, Arn, if he just went and hit the ropes, he would have been all right. And I think Arn kind of agreed like, with me yeah, on that point. Yeah. So fuck all of you. When you say all everything about Mongo, I think Arn half-ass co-signed it on camera. Go look it up. It's on YouTube right now. That's like if the last dance was only about Michael Jordan playing baseball. That's what you, that's what you did with Arn Anderson. It needed to be done. After his Nitro debut, off to the races, he was taking on Pegasus Kid, Brian Pillman, Disco Inferno, Johnny B. Bad, and he would have his first WCW pay-per-view at 95's World War Three where he actually made it to the final nine. And I know the final nine isn't like, wow, look at this push he's getting. But he was out there with Hogan, Flair, Sting, Macho Man, Luger, Arn, the Giant, and One Man Gang. Those are some pretty fancy elbows to be rubbing with when you're like a month into the company. Dude, yeah, I mean, go back and watch this. They treat 
Eddie like he's the Shawn Michaels of the Royal Rumble. How there is so many close calls with Eddie almost getting thrown out. He's like, oh, this is definitely going to be it. But no, he holds on to the ropes and shimmies himself away. They put over Eddie big time here. He's taking on Arn Anderson and Flair at the same time. But in true WCW fashion, they build Eddie up like the Shawn Michaels of the Royal Rumble, but with World War III. And then the camera isn't even on his elimination. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's weird because pre-NWO it really looked like they were gonna do something with Eddie man like he he kept getting in these cool spots these Uh cool situations where he wasn't like getting the heavyweight title put on him but like you could see that they were like fuck we got something here with this dude well they were they're putting the U.S. belt on him those lower lower mid-card belts and and like kind of like their equivalent of the of of like the worker belt like he was definitely positioned as that guy a feature match on WCW Saturday night hey we're gonna give him an and almost always he was always in like a very prime spot of Nitro too it was definitely during a time like hey we really want you to see this guy wrestle totally and yeah uh Nick mentioned these names but it's really worth searching them out the 101695 bit match it's them first getting to do it in front of everybody, which is, I mean, you know, Dean Benton and Guerrero, just any combination of them. Pegasus Kid and Eddie do stuff so fast and so good that you get to hear Bischoff stumbling all over himself trying to call it. It's fucking gorgeous. And he mentioned Johnny B. Bad. I have this in my notes. Watch the Eddie Guerrero Johnny B. Bad Nitro match. 11 It's a 10-minute draw. I was shocked how good they work together and the sequences they put together. I didn't think I was going to say that, but it's it's worth searching out. Fuck you. Johnny B. Bad was good. I know. I forgot. I forgot. I told, I admit it. I forgot. He was great. Watch him and Austin at the King of the Ring. Holy shit. If you want to see like an edge to Mark Merrow, watch him wrestling Stone Cold because he fucking had to. (laughs) Stone Cold was such a fucking killer, man. And both men wearing black too. Like it just, you're like, ooh, like it was like you never saw that before. Usually the baby was <laughs> right. in a lot of colors, but like Wild Man was in black and Austin was in black. Yeah, fucking. But at the same time, too, like you had to have the right person with Mark Merrill. You just couldn't it's put true. him in there and whatever. And that's the thing, too, is like Austin hated working Mark Merrill, even though I just put over a match for the head yeah. <laughs> against I've... each other. So clearly, like it, it was somebody carrying carrying the water for somebody. Like, there's even a great match of like Johnny B. Bad versus uh, Jimmy Garvin. Like, I, I don't know where you got to put him in there with somebody who is yeah. just very, very talented. Where like if you kind of put him in there, I guess, with a max muscle, it'd probably be pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> right. In December 95, Eddie hit another pro wrestling milestone when he got a spot on his first ever Starcade. Eddie would be part of the World Cup of Wrestling, a little bit of cross promotion with uh, New Japan. And uh, Eddie gets a Mean Gene promo on this, uh, always a big deal. And later that night, he would take on Shinjiro Otani with WCW and New Japan tight two to two. And as Dusty Rhodes said, this was a pivot at a bowl match, baby. Nick mentioned the interview with that he got that Eddie got an interview with Mean Gene and it's you can tell how nervous Eddie is. He's not bad, but it, it's it's so cool to see these early promos where Eddie is nervous and he doesn't really have that charisma that he would later in the WWF and it's like, you know, lots of people say charisma, you know, you either have it or you don't. Well, maybe sometimes you have it but you're just not in the right spot to awaken it or you're not comfortable enough to really bring it out of you. And these early Eddie promos show that, man. He's doing the baby face stuff. He's just kind of, you know, rah, let's do this. And it's so cool to see him kind of come out of his shell and really get comfortable in the ring and get comfortable on the mic and just become a fucking pro wrestler. 
and and the thing I think about with Eddie is like it's very true. Like you you look back at that you know ninety five ninety six Eddie Guerrero in WCW. You're like oh this guy was that charismatic guy yeah. in WWE. It's it's very night and day. Yeah. And you know as a guy that's struggled with you know dependency on alcohol and you know what was going on in my mindset when I w- was doing that and trying to not feel things of this world and just deaden myself and shut off the emotions that are inside me but then once I got the clarity and was able to put that in my rear view I was able to let my personality come out embrace myself embrace the feeling of the world which I still even work on to this day I wonder if that's kind of what's going on with Eddie at this time that he's got so much heart and passion that it that it's hard for him to process the love that he gets from an audience and it's tough and that's why he was so dependent upon alcohol and drugs because he's trying to deaden that and it's not until he fully embraces it later in in his life that that's where that charisma comes out and that wonderful person that's inside of him finally comes out because i look at a lot of my same promos and it's very much like some of these early eddie guerrero promos like you're trying to be something you're not like you if you listen back on my art of wrestling podcast with Cole (laughs) cabana that is the biggest fucking disappointment of my fucking career because i am horrible that is the prime example of somebody who is not comfortable in their own skin, trying too hard, not knowing what to fucking say, just fucking awful. That thing should be digital. Like, I don't know if there's a way to set something on fire that's digital. <laughs> go ahead and set that on fire. Like, if you guys got an old phone, go ahead, download that, and then set that phone on fire. That's <laughs> how bad that fucking podcast is because it's just not comfortable in my own skin. And I feel like that's probably what Eddie's feeling right now is that that – He's not comfortable in his own skin yet, and that's why you're seeing such a big swing. And much like you said, Micah, that charisma's in there. It just he is hiding it because he knows if he puts that charisma out into the world and commits to that, he then puts himself out there for the possibility of critique, criticism, rejection, all of those emotions that he's probably trying to avoid because also, too, he's being told all the time he's too small, he's not good enough, he was told he's got the spot because of this and because of that. All things that I had to go through, even myself, and, and know those things. When you're getting told that you know, the only reason this, or tell them no all the time, you don't want to put yourself out there in such a way because then they reject you fully. But if you only put 25% out, they're like, oh, well, you only re- you only rejected 25%. I still got another 75%. You're wrong. But what's ending happening, people think that that's all you are is that 25% when really there's this whole 100% that once they get to see, even with all the flaws, that's where the magic is and people can get behind that. And that's what they really want to see, not 25% of you to protect yourself from the rejection of 100% of you. Fucking A. And I've skated through my entire comedy career with 0% charisma, so I relate to that very much. So the refs in this Starcade match, clearly on the payroll of the Yakuza, because Eddie gets two of the slowest three counts I've ever seen in my life, which allows Otani to eventually win on a series of roll-up attempts, which Jake said is a fish-out-of-water spot. Huh. You're talking about like where they go one, two, one, and then they two, flip, yeah, and yeah. then they flip, yeah, 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 one, two, one, two, one. It's still even an indie show. If you get a unique enough and it's done with enough fluidity, you'll still get a big applause break, a respect spot. Like, oh, look at these guys. Like, <laughs> even to this day, it, it fucking works. And also, too, like people did them all the time and then stopped doing them, and then you can come back to them. Right. I, mean, I think you can come back to them now. Well, obviously, you can come to them now because people aren't seeing it all the time now. But like Tower of Doom spots right. came back yeah. right before the into the during times. 
but yeah like tower of dooms came back um respect spots i think we're a few months away from coming back um <laughs> so like there's these flow of things that they get overdone over time i think eddie is the best all time at the fish out of water spot like he was so so many combinations uh, yep, yep, yep. so clever yep. Yeah, you could probably get Molly Straw, you get any type of variation of a sunset flip into a whatever, and then turning around. Yeah, Eddie was Eddie was the guy who probably made that. Him, him, and I would even say Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn would do something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good too. pull. Like him and Jerry Lynn are top three in the in the fish out of water spot. Sidebar: I will never correctly spell Mahi Straw Cradle. So while in WCW, Eddie still made trips over to Japan, heading back for shots in New Japan as Black Tiger. And he even got a shot at Liger's junior title. It, it is a pretty good match. The Liger match is worth checking out. One match that I saw was uh, when Sabu had the IWGP junior heavyweight title, which, I mean, it's in Japan. We still got tables and chairs. And at the beginning of the match, Sabu assaults a fan for taking off his headwear. That was something. Check out the Black Tiger versus Koji Kanemoto 62395 when Eddie hits a top rope brain buster. That's another one that's like, he killed the motherfucker. And then one that I have a good question for Jake on is uh, Black Tiger versus Ben 71395. This got a finish for the fucking ages. This was one of these, I have to have this tape. I have to see this in real life back in the day. Pegasus Kid reverses Eddie's top rope Frankensteiner and he turns him around and he hits a tombstone pile driver from the second turnbuckle and it looks like fucking gold. And I wanted to ask Jake, is there any wrestler that you trust enough to take a second turnbuckle tombstone pile driver? Fucking no. (laughs) I ever fucking even think to fucking give it to anybody, my knee would just be fucking in the third row the second hit the mat. Like, I I think CM Punk was looking back at, like, an old match of his and somebody posted a clip of it when he he would do the Pepsi plunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he basically said, he goes, my knees are hurting just even thinking (laughs) about doing that right now. And that's just, even thinking about doing that is just absurd. Chris Hamrick would do the second, would do a second row pile driver, not even a tombstone, but just a regular one. Right. Like, I don't know if I would trust a motherfucker to do that, but fucking people did. So Ugh, good on gosh. them for doing that. It ain't me. It ain't me, babe. Nah, nah, nah. It ain't me, <laughs> babe. It ain't me you're looking for. Do you have a move that you look back on and think, God, I was such a fucking idiot when I was young because you, oh, yeah. your like, shin hurts every day now because of it or whatever? Well, I mean, obviously the knee drop that fucked up my knee. The diving headbutt, which I've, I think I've told on this podcast before, I would do. And then the way I would do it with my step back, and I'd come at such a weird angle that it would jack me up that I had to stop at certain periods of time because I felt the pinching in my in my nerve and my back. And um, that that was one of them. Also, too, looking back at like me and Joey Sylvia's finishing maneuver, which was we called Death from Below, which you know, we, we took it from Super Dragon and Davey Richards. They would usually do like Davy jumping off the second or from the ground, and they would do it right there. But we're like, uh, Joey was just crazy enough to be like, he'll do a backcracker off the top rope. But oh. see, the thing is, the way that Joey did it, he didn't kind of hang the way that Davy did. There was a little bit more forward momentum. So every time that I went for the power bomb, I'd end up being an accidental sit out power bomb. Wow. So like that, like it looked fucking vicious because it looked like we fucked it up about most of the time. It wasn't until I realized that I have to kind of be leaning forward to kind of absorb his momentum coming at me 
So that way, like, the guy can be power bombed on top of Joey. So basically, Joey was jumping off the top rope, going for a backcracker, and then a man is then pushed into him <laughs> as he takes a back bump off the fucking top. And I push uh, a man onto him clumsily, mind you, because I've always got knocked off my fucking feet when he grabbed me because he would always fucking bring it on the backcracker. That one was pretty fucking stupid. How have not more people died? Back stateside, Eddie would get into the WCW US title pitcher at 96 Uncensored, taking on a guy he is no stranger to, Mr. Conan. Please, Mr. Conan is his father's name. <laughs> Just <laughs> and, Conan. Uh, there's one thing I got to recommend. Look up on YouTube Conan versus Eddie Guerrero feud. I don't know how they found this footage. It's like it's recorded off the old UHF channel in Mexico or whatever. Conan and Eddie's feud in uh, Ciudad Juarez, it's went from 88 to 89, and you get to see uh, Conan's in a mask, muscled out as fuck, looking like Bane. Eddie is cutting fiery promos. It's weird to see his promos in WCW and then watch these, because he flips out in a locker room, and uh, one guy was nice enough to translate it in the YouTube comments. It's fucking gold for super rare stuff. Please check that out. Then at 96 Slamboree, Eddie would get into the ever-so-iconic Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl. He, uh, he teamed up with Arn Anderson to take on Ric Flair and Macho Man. Again, Eddie Guerrero, new to the scene, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Macho Man. Arn betrays Eddie with a DDT to help Rick beat up Macho Man. And this would start a feud with Eddie and the Horsemen, which, again, quite the fucking rub in the NWA's last surviving territory. And to piggyback off of Nick in that Slamboree Battle Bowl match, there's a spot where Eddie taps Flair on the shoulder for the old, hey, look at me. And Eddie pokes Flair right in the eyes when he turns around, and Eddie gets the biggest fucking pop of the whole match. <laughs> It is so beautiful. It it shows how much people loved Eddie, man. Well, I, in Flair's shoot, like he he talked about, he knew Eddie when he was a, like a child, like a kid, yes. and was like well well aware of him. Wanted to work with him, much in the same sense what I was talking last last time about Colby Carino and think about Hector, always well liked in the locker room. Uh, was there for Crockett, so obviously being around and I and also to Flair knowing about. Chavo Sr. and how important he was to all the territories and being a territory guy probably bumped into each other from time to time and considering that Harley had some, so much respect for Chavo and the, the amount of respect that Rick had for Harley and respecting that whole family of the Guerreros uh, obviously like oh we got it we got we got the youngest of that family he's a good hand yeah. I'm Rick Flair we got all these guys coming in trying to take me out of this top spot because I'm too fucking old. Give me this fucking young guy right here, and I'll show you I can still fucking go. Give, <laughs> give, give me Eddie. I'll fucking go with him, and I'll get him over and prove to you I'm still goddamn Ric Flair. Jake is 100% there. Uh, their 520 96 Nitro match. Flair gives Eddie, like, he he makes him a star. Flair gives him everything. They get in striking, slapping battles, and Flair always takes the face dive. I mean, he doesn't totally make him, but in that match, he fucking puts him over hard as fuck. When Eddie was 16, he went and spent a summer with Chavo and Hector when they were working in Championship Wrestling of Florida, and he got to go backstage a lot, and Ric Flair was there, and that's kind of how he oh, knew wow. him. And he was like, yeah, all the stories you hear about Ric Flair, they're true. <laughs> Eddie and Flair would meet at 96's Hog wild for the u.s title and a matchup between two of the dirtiest players in the game who do you think's the 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 dirtier wrestler overall 
But as far as like cheating and nastiness, I mean, Flair was pretty good. Like I still love the the carry of on Eric finish that Flair would do, where he'd be in the apron, give like a, a shot to the stomach, and then dive in and and cover him for a pin, even though his feet are on the ropes. That was always pretty smooth. And of course, just any time that you had Flair. Uh, in a tag match and you're like I don't trust you Ric Flair but I'll you know I'll make you my tag partner and then he gets attacked beforehand and then <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, and then Flair is beat up can't make it the guy's doing a handicap match and then finally come Flair comes down the apron they tag Flair in hits the rope and then he punches the guy who's his tag team partner <laughs> like I don't know I think it, 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 as much as it pains me to say it uh, give Flair any fucking credit after everything he's done to me uh, I gotta give it to Flair wow. although like Eddie took it to another fucking level yeah. uh, later in his career but yes. this time like Flair is the unquestioned king the sound of a constantly hovering helicopter honking motorcycles and the ring lights turning on and off <laughs> make for some great fucking atmosphere for this match Flair wins, of course. He cheated when he locked in the figure four and had woman on the outside pull his hands for extra leverage. And Eddie talks about in the shoot interview how this match was big for him, obviously, early in his career with Flair pay-per-view. And he was totally disappointed in it. He felt like he didn't live up to it, which would be amplified later in his career when things got bigger stakes. But just Eddie was just such a perfectionist and he just wanted every little thing to go right. And when it didn't, he beat himself up tremendously. I think that's a sign of someone who cares about their art. Like when I, not that I'm equating myself to Eddie, but like when I walk off stage, I could murder for 10 minutes or whatever. And I'm like, fuck, I missed that fucking tag. (laughs) Or like I fumbled that word in the beginning joke. And like Jake, I've seen, I'll see Jake go out there and set the building on fire and like have a great match. And then I'll see him after the show and he'll be like, was it okay? And it's like, yeah, it was okay. What are you talking about, Jay? Did you not hear them? <laughs> like, you you killed it. And it's just like, you gotta al- always be working on it because once you're like, fuck, yeah, that was good. You're done. Nope. That's your ceiling. You hit it. And there you go, Nick. You and Eddie are the same. You're both mad when you have a bad tag. Thank you. So following this feud, Eddie would start feuding with Diamond Dallas Page. And Eddie was very important in DDP's development. Eddie loved Diamond, and he loved his work ethic. The only thing they really ever clashed on is that Eddie was a call-it-on-the-fly guy, and DDP wanted everything scripted down to the last period on the paper. Yeah, in the shoot interview, it's one of the rare times where you're like, whoa, Eddie's kind of upset. But also, too, like, gosh, like, this is about the time. And, and, you know, think about it more. Maybe we don't give this enough shine in that, you know, this is about the time in a timeline where the diamond cutter is getting traction as 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 a finish. Yeah. And like it's starting to get over a little bit, but it's not to the level that it became later. It, like a few months from the time of them feuding with each other, it was incredible. And, and I just think back to the times when Diamond would give it to Eddie, how spectacular he would make it. And I'm sure Eddie had some input on like, hey, why don't you try and get in it this way or get in it that way? Or when you get the finish, come out here. Like, like Eddie was really kind of one of those guys that helped make that diamond cutter become like the finish it became. Yeah. Where like once he hits it, it's ball game, son. And when he hits it, oh shit, he fucking hit the diamond cutter. And the excitement that Paige created from that, that, that wave that Paige rode in 97 probably a lot of those seeds were planted right here in 96 with Eddie. Absolutely. Which could lead into two things here is that DDP 
was talking on Jericho's podcast and he said that Eddie would, he'd be like, all right, you got to hit it out of a, out of a power bomb. And DDP would be like, how the fuck is that even <laughs> possible? And he'd be like, listen, just get me up there, shoot me and do it. And, and I'll do the rest. And he'd hit this amazing diamond cutter. And then for their match at 96's Halloween Havoc, Eddie was supposed to win. But at the end of the match, Eddie started going diamond cutter, diamond cutter. And DDP was like, what are you talking about? He hits the diamond cutter, pins Eddie. And in the back, DDP is like, why did you do that? What are you doing? And Eddie just said, it's your time, man. He felt that DDP was rising and he was 100% right because we're at the tail end of 96. 97, DDP explodes. 98, he's one of the most famous wrestlers on planet Earth. So Eddie saw that and was a part of it. And I know we... uh... We talked about in the Crush episode about mullets and comparing them, but is there a better mullet matchup than DDP and Eddie Guerrero? I, I don't think there is. So before Dallas went off to become a big old star, uh, he and Eddie faced off at 96's Starcade in the final round of a tournament for the U.S. title. And Eddie was a little grumpy about this match because Eddie's the babyface here, DDP's the heel. And they have the NWO come in and fuck finish DDP, which put a bunch of heat on Eddie as the babyface. Yeah, that was another thing where it's Eddie's actually upset in the shoot interview and he's been holding on to this and it still bothers him because he's a fucking perfectionist and he cares so much and he hates it. <laughs> Six was part of that run in, which led to a little feud with them over the U.S. title and they met each other at sold out which is a damn good ladder match, but yet again, Eddie is not happy because it just, things didn't go exactly how he wanted it. And you go back and watch that match. It's a damn good ladder match, especially because Eddie said that was the first ever ladder match he ever was in. Yeah, I thought I thought it was good too. And it's just a match that's supposed to be on an NWO pay-per-view, and he just kind of was like downplayed as like a guy that's wrestling an NWO guy where the NWO guy needs to be shined up here. It's right. kind of all the match is supposed to be. Jake, how quick into your career did you have your first ladder match? Um, well, the the first promotion I wrestled at, the ceiling was really low, so it was kind of impossible to have a ladder match. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but I, it was very early at a tables match, like maybe six or eight months in. Wow. And the finish was I did that regal uh, neckbreaker where you take the guy's arm and into like a reverse diamond cutter. Yeah. I did that. This is so eight months into wrestling. I did that to a guy from the apron to the floor onto a table covered in barbed wire. <laughs> if we could have set it on fire, we would have. <laughs> but when I did it, you can see on commentary, like the video kicks out. Like you, you see on uh, like Lawler getting chucked by fucking Joe LaDuke through a table. <laughs> Except the only difference is uh, the, the commentator wasn't silent like Lancer also was. The commentator on live commentary, once I took that bump, uh, was like, fuck. <laughs> Another thing about this sold out thing, maybe I'll edit this out, we'll see. Bischoff, great commentator, great mic worker. You have Ted DiBiase, who is also on commentary. One of the great mic workers. Those motherfuckers had no chemistry at all, and nope. they were horrible on commentary. Blew my mind. Uh, sometimes you get the right actor, the right director, it doesn't work. I mean, you know, yeah. chemistry is a weird motherfucker. Well, I mean, Eric Bischoff was looking for those mediocre chicks in the background that they <laughs> sold out because they're in Iowa and you got to make fun of the homely looking women in Iowa, which if you motherfuckers would have traveled just a few miles down the road to Cedar Rapids or Iowa City, none of those girls were ordinary in the slightest, my friends. Mark my words. We still love our ordinary girls out there, too, by the way. 
So Eddie would successfully defend his U.S. title against Chris Jericho at Super Brawl 7 and, of course, another great match. Uh, his reign would come to a end at March 97's Uncensored when Dean Malenko beat him for the title in a match that was full of mutt hole walking and tongue wagging, baby. <laughs> at this point, Eddie was, he was starting to turn hill. The things that really stood out to me in this match is Eddie's creativity with working Dean's leg. Just all the imaginative shit he would do to fuck up Dean's leg to sell that story. He goes for some ambitious stuff in this. It's pretty impressive. You know, when Eddie finally was like, oh, I'm going to start working heel, just the, you could see the transition in his face and how he walked to the ring. Just that subtle change, I think, is where you start to see that this is a different level performer yep. because you look at when he would walk out in early 96 to now early 97 and it's like a completely different wrestler yeah that's when you recognize that this guy's a next level performer before you're like oh i really like his match he's a good performer i can pay yeah. attention and you could see him in the same light that you would see in alex wright it's when you see him go so hard one way from what he was doing before you're like oh this is this is something I need to pay attention to. <laughs> yep. And that's what it was to me as a fan, is seeing that just scowly look on his face. He'd wet his hair down a little bit yeah. more. And they started playing that. And he would just feel it when he came out. Like, even at the stage, it's that, that look on his face of him walking down, like almost slithering. Yes, down. it's yeah. like this yeah. like half strut, arrogant, I don't give a fuck it's so perfect but the in the, the way he would scoff at the people that he would look yeah. at the ringside he was just like Ugh, you fucking peasant piece of shit i've seen so many hills try to do it and it's like awkward and like fake yeah feeling. eddie was just like yeah i'm here i'm eddie de guerrero you're fucking welcome and it felt like so real i don't know I'll mark out about this later with filmmaking shit, but it just eddie is a fucking great actor in general he can act man in this Dean match, uh, we get some X-Pac interference. He comes down to steal the title belt with a camcorder, which it seems like a bad idea to uh, film a crime you're committing. Uh, <laughs> I guess they're... I, yeah, never mind. Uh, Eddie, Eddie tries to stop him. They wrestle over the camera. Dean gets it and uh, clocks him with the camera, gets the pin. But an important note of this match is that Eddie would tear his peck and miss four and a half months. Sorry, Nick. Were you about to make a China joke? With uh, I thought that. <laughs> okay. I thought that's what was happening. He doesn't want to upset his boy, I... Sean. You guys know Sean, right? Sean's his boy. Sean, Sean. Hey, yeah. He, he, we got, we got a regular, we got a regular Rob Feinstein over here that anytime we bring up X-Pac, he's like, oh, you mean Sean? Instead of like, oh, Raven. Oh, you mean Scott? <laughs> Scott Levy? You know, like anytime we bring up X-Pac, oh. You mean you mean Sean Waltman, and then uh, Jerry Lynn wrestled Lightning Kid, which hopefully we never have to do a Jerry Lynn episode uh, yes. ever. Um, when Sabu wrestled uh, Lightning Kid, oh, don't you mean Sean Waltman? <laughs> like as we're that's what we're gonna get. Fun fact: the first dog my dog ever met and had a play date with was Lula, Xbox dog. So wow, uh, so suck it, as they say in in the biz. Uh, so after healing up from his injury, Eddie would come back June 30th, 97 on Nitro, this time as a full-blown hill as he attacked Dean as he was making his entrance. And during this match, Chavo Jr. comes down to the ring. Eddie pushes Dean into him and hit the froggeth splash on him to make a win in his comeback. And then this would be the first time we get to see this like Guerrero family Eddie versus Chavo rivalry. 
the cool little tidbit there is Tanae on commentary during this when Eddie comes out and is beating up Dean after attacking him from behind. Tanae gives a quick little Los Gringos Locos art bar heel history and talks about how Art and Eddie were some of the most hated motherfuckers in all of Mexico. And Tanae really helps build it up where it's kind of like that thing. Nah, you guys don't understand. This guy's a huge dick. <laughs> Eddie would get in a full-blown rivalry with Chavo. And even Hector Guerrero came out to try to teach <laughs> yeah. Eddie a lesson. And they had a fun match on Nitro. Afterwards, Dean Malenko comes out to attack Eddie. Hector saves Eddie. So then Dean attacks Hector. And Eddie just walks <laughs> off like such a <laughs> fucking cunt, man. <laughs> he knows the moment when be like, all right, I'm out. And I mentioned it earlier, but on the 825-97 Nitro, Eddie has a match with Mongo, and they do a springboard head scissor spot, and it doesn't go horribly. So I just, I told you, Jake, I was going to put over Mongo a little bit, and it went pretty well. No, also in that <laughs> fucking match, Eddie does a fucking moonsault, and yeah, Mongo catches him for the tombstone pile driver. That's the thing. Because no, no. he worked, Mongo didn't hit the fucking ropes when that happened. <laughs> That's what's like, there are so many gifts from that match. You're like, holy shit, <laughs> why? this Mongo match is amazing. Because I'll tell you why. Eddie recognized, don't let that motherfucker hit the ropes, and this <laughs> match is going to be incredible, and it fucking is. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero and I were the only two people that saw it in Steve Mongo McMichael. <laughs> don't let that motherfucker hit the ropes, and this match is going to be fucking awesome, which is what I tried to explain to Double A, Arn Anderson, Hall, WWE right. Hall of Famer, and one of the greatest professionals of all time. Like, no, Mongo was incredible. You just shouldn't have let that motherfucker hit the ropes. <laughs> Football stands, and then Football catch him, stands. and then hit him with something. You, we'd still be talking to him to this day. <laughs> oh, Lord. So as Eddie and Dean continued their feud, they would both get pulled into the cruiserweight title scene. And this is very important to me personally. This really shaped like what I love about wrestling. This is like fourth or fifth grade for me. Nitro came on at eight. Raw came out at nine, so I would watch the first hour of Nitro, which is usually a 35-minute NWO promo to set up a six-minute fuck-finish main event. And then after that, they played just this fucking magic that was the cruiserweight division of just, you know, Ultimo, Liger, Mysterio, and Eddie, just all that type of stuff is the same shit I still love today. Then I would flip to see the beginning of Raw, watch the Rock promo, flip back and forth until one ended, and that was kind of how I watched wrestling for years. Dude, it's so weird that you say that because my very first image of a memory of getting back into wrestling after the Hogan Ultimate Warrior days was turning on Nitro. I think it's around this time. I'm not going to be totally on, but I know it's right around this time. Is a Dean Malenko with the U.S. Championship walking out through the entranceway with Dean's music playing. He's like, oh, this guy's got the U.S. title. All right, I need to know this guy, the Iceman. Okay, okay, okay. I'm back in this now. Does someone have a more perfect theme than Dean Malenko? That dun, 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 dun. Well, as he just marches like stoically down the fucking aisle. It's so beautiful. That or when WCW would put up the graphics of upcoming ticket locations. <laughs> playing in the background. That's what it kind of sounded like. Did they use that before? The intro to WCW main event at one point in time? Or, or whatever the fucking copyright music that they had. Copyright free music. Which we didn't talk about a whole lot on the last episode uh, when they would come out at ECW. Like, clearly, they they were of those guys that were, like, territory guys or guys that just didn't give a fuck about the entrance song. Because, like, they came out to... I think Eddie came, came out to Sabatru. 
Or Dean came out to Saboteur of Metallica. I think Eddie might have come out to Animal by Pearl Jam. I might be wrong. Yeah, maybe. Because, like, it was just like, just play whatever. Yeah. And anytime anybody said play whatever, they're like, okay, well, the heel's coming out to Saboteur of Metallica, and the baby is coming out to Welcome to the Jungle. Like, that was basically... <laughs> And then, like, I think Eddie and Dean had that. And then all of a sudden, like, Psychosis and Ray came in. Like, what music do I play? I don't know. Let's play whatever. All right. Sad but true. He'll he'll goes out first. Run it. I can't believe guys don't care about it. I'm not even a pro wrestler. And I'll hear a song and be like, oh, man, that'd be a great pro wrestling intro, man. Oh, I I did I did it for the Peterson Cup, and guys on the show thought I was a fucking psychopath. <laughs> they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I don't give a shit. And they're like, and this is well before like I got the whole point of branding. I, like, and of course, guys were like El Generico and Human Tornado were doing the thing. If I just would have fucking worked on my goddamn character, there's a thing with the UFC pay per views where they always get to come out to you know an actual song, and you can tell the fighters that come out to what they want. But then there's the fill in, you know, maybe there's a Japanese fighter who didn't give a fuck, and it's just you know, the most basic pop ninety rock bullshit. You're like that guy did not pick that song or Flow Rider, you know. It's, like, <laughs> know. it's easy to spot. My song would be San Dimas by Dead and Divine. I always said that. In the cruiserweight division, Eddie would start feuding with Chris Jericho, ending up at 97's Fall Brawl. And I'll say this literally every match. It was awesome. Like, I don't know what else you want. It's, it's, all these are good. This is one of the best matches where one of Eddie's best bits as a heel is in the very first little tie-up in the arm drag. Eddie takes an arm drag from Jericho because Jericho gets the advantage. And Eddie very quickly and calmly walks over to the ref, grabs the ref, and shows him, he demonstrates physically how Chris Jericho pulled his hair. And he wants him to be reprimanded right now. There's even later in the match, Eddie lies down in the ring to show the ref how he pulled his hair in another sequence. (laughs) And the way Eddie would physically, just like, no, I need to show you something. You come here right now. I mean, it's it's another level to how he knew physical comedy to the healedness rather than just generating heat from just being a scowly motherfucker. He knew how to be kind of funny and dastardly, but he nailed the spot where you're laughing at him, but you're like, you asshole. My favorite spot in this match is they do a gory special reversal, like a like a re- <laughs> almost like a reverse tombstone spot. And then Jericho gives Eddie a backwards Alabama slamma out of the gory <laughs> special. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, it was gorgeous, man. Uh, Eddie gets the win and the cruiserweight title. Then we get to a match that is probably in the top five or top ten matches of literally every pro wrestling fan. 1997, Halloween Havoc, Eddie and Rey Mysterio Jr. Holy fucking shit. I think we, I need to hit on a theme that we've already hit on before, and this is a quote from Eddie. I love Rey like my little brother. He has no fear in the ring with me, which is a compliment to me. I mean, you look at this match, and it's just clearly such an aberration a delineation from what is going on at the time even for like the cruiserweight stuff where they're just like you know eddie recognizes this breakout talent of of ray mysterio and just anything under the sun let's not like it's one of those things it's a match you would see at pwg on a regular basis now today yeah Um, it's it's a match that like a a ricochet or a will osprey would point to as an inspiration to them and how they push forward their art form if eddie didn't have as much love with Cornette, i'm sure Cornette would shit all over this fucking match because it is (laughs) wendy's 
I, and and I've, I've explained this to, to a lot of guys that are a younger generation to me is that sometimes you just need to go out there and just just go all for it at the right fucking time because this is one of those rare occasions where the spots and of the match will be that four or five star match. I mean, th- I mean, the story is like, okay, we're refuting, yada, yada, the winner of this. I mean, there's not like a, a big year-long story. This is one of those cases where the spots do make the four or five star match. Right, yeah. But you have to swing so much for the fences. And then even this one, too, they're, they're, not everything that they hit is as clean as it should be or accurately. There's a few flubs here and there. But they are going for a home run every time they go to the plate for a spot. Do that on pay-per-view to do this at a time when they're probably like, ah, these small guys are just going to do whatever. But really going forward and pushing forward of it, it is of the same essence that Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid was. It's yep. of the same essence that we see of guys today like a Ricochet and Osprey of just pushing the art form and doing something that you've never seen before. Going for it, balls out, let's do something that they've never fucking seen before. And like I said, this is a match that something like a PWG was based off of. And for them to swing for the fences as hard as they did on this one, I mean, a lot of people will point to this match as being such a, a inspiration for, for people. This is the one of the rare cases. This is the 1%. Like, I always say this about four or five star matches. A lot of them have come up because there's a concern on a story, and we don't give that enough credit. But this is one of that smaller percentage because a small percentage of the time, the spots, the things you do makes the four or five star match. And this is one of those occasions, those rare apparitions that everybody's trying to chase after that is actually harder to do as opposed to building a story for a year long and then executing upon the finale of some sort of match and executing it at a very high level. Just going out there, not necessarily cold, but coming into it like this and letting the spots elevate the work to a level that uh, few have ever attained. The only, I would honestly like to watch this match with you and kind of analyze and see what you think kind of is off. On the rewatch, I think the only botch is there's an, a spot early in the match where Ray does a cartwheel handspring type thing. And when you watch it, you can tell Ray's kind of off. And what's so amazing is that Eddie recognizes this. Yeah. And he quickly goes over to him and grabs Ray in midair and slams him into a really fucking brutal-looking back suplex. And it it looks a little off because, you know, maybe they're trying a new spot, but it looks like it's an audible. But the fact that Eddie called an audible in a fucking microsecond is more impressive than the spot that they probably had in mind. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be talking about my dumb fucking pretentious ass. But watching it back, it feels like... That it was like, oh shit, Eddie's like, nope, I got this. Bam. Spot saved. Impact. Crowd pops. It it, it fucking blew me away on rewatch. That's how Eddie wrestled. He was, everything that was happening was really happening. And he was really reacting to it. I think Jake is right. Not everything in this is 100% fluid. But it's just, I mean, they. I feel like they nail it. It's not 100% fluid, but I feel like there's nothing except that one little moment that feels off. And it goes for 14 minutes of craziness, and that's what's insane. The springboard backflip DDT Dude, that's, is a spot. Oh my, that's one of my favorite spots in any match all time ever. It's fucking beautiful. It's so insane. There's even a shot that I found of the reverse angle. And it still works in that angle. It's it's just one of those spots where you're like, wow, how do human beings do that? Fucking blew me away. Fucking blew me away, man. 
So while Halloween Havoc is the Eddie Ray match to watch, their feud wasn't over, and literally all these matches are good, but uh, November 10th, Nitro, Eddie won the Cruiserweight title back from Ray. Eddie again held on to the title at World War III, and then rounding out Eddie's Cruiserweight title run here, he'd hold on against the Iceman at Starrcade 97. Then the next night on Nitro, he would drop it to Ultimo Dragon in about 90 seconds. Kind of like a weird crash landing for his title run. It's so weird because he goes in there, they wrestle. There's a dragon sleeper spot scare. And then it's like, wait, Eddie just tapped. What the fuck just happened? And then we get a little deeper into an Eddie Chavo feud. And it's a fun kind of like full circle where Eddie starts out as the bully and Chavo slowly ramps up his craziness to where the feud oh, like God. shifts and tilts and to where uh, Eddie's like the guy who's like, oh, Jesus. Dude, crazy Chavo is one of my favorite comedic anythings ever. Just the here, Eddie, 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 and Pepe and God. Eddie's reactions to Chavo's craziness is a highlight showing how Eddie can react to people and not just be the instigator. Well, it's also incredible that Chavo... Uh, this I hopefully this doesn't come off disrespectful because I really fucking love Chavo. His character at this time was so over the top and he was so good with <laughs> character so work good. in WCW. So but like when he got to like WWE, he's like, yeah, I'm Chavo. I'm Eddie's nephew. You're so right. You know, like we yeah. never got to see that big fucking character out of mm-hmm. Chavo. It was almost they went in reverse, where yeah. like Eddie kind of started off as, yeah, I'm a gr- part of the Guerrero family, and then he became this larger-to-life character, where it's almost like Chavo got small when he went later in his career, where like yeah. he's so big right here. And I would say, like it, this is very early in Chavo's career. He was kind of lanky, a little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he wasn't quite the performer that he was. Like, I still hold up. Great American Bash, 2004, Rey Mysterio, Chavo Guerrero Jr. That fucking match should be taught in every fucking wrestling school across the fucking planet on how to still do high spots while telling a story, working over a body part, and then still selling it, but still hitting your moveset. It should be taught everywhere on every fucking wrestling school on the fucking planet. Just, it's fucking beautiful. Beautiful psychology, executed perfectly. Incredible. But like I have a here, like you could clearly, as in my young mind, I'm like, oh, this Chavo Guerrero Jr. is a little, <laughs> uh, a little two left feet right here, you know? I but know. as a character, like he's so over the top that you just, yeah. like, this is great, you know? And of course, you know, Ed, you know Eddie's going to get in there and he's going to crush it. Chavo and Eddie would go on to have a couple matches against each other. At the Great American Bash, Chavo got an upset win with a springboard DDT. And then they'd have a hair versus hair match at Bash at the Beach. And Tanay is such a great nerd that at the beginning of the match says, Eddie Guerrero is five and one in hair matches leading into this. <laughs> God bless Mike today, but like he's the guy who waits for penguins to come up in conversation and then he's like, you know, they mate for life, right? Like he always has like a fucking <laughs> fact to ready to go at all times. And works the conversation towards yeah. that. Like, hey, yeah. have you guys taken any interesting cruises, like maybe to like South America or maybe one of those northern cruises, you know, where they got the icebergs? <laughs> you guys ever taken one of those before? <laughs> like, where you see, um, what are they called? Yeah. Uh, oh, you mean penguins? Oh, by the way, penguins. Let me tell you about them. <laughs> 
So uh, at this match at the beach match, they did something pretty fun. Chavo had a match before the Eddie Chavo match against Stevie Ray. So Eddie thought he was going to have this big, you know, upper hand. And then Chavo submits to Stevie Ray's handshake. (laughs) So it's like great comedy. It's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. And then Eddie and Chavo themselves have like a fucking great comedy match, which is not something you really got to see uh, often in mainstream wrestling during the 90s. I mean, when you get to see Chavo start to shave his own head, I mean, that's that's the height of it. Yes, much like Micah, who did not know that Nels faced Virgil at 92 SummerSlam, Chavo descends into madness and shaves his own head. Fuck you. (laughs) Join our Patreon so you can hear me lose a uh, WWF trivia contest to Nick, and that's why my head is shaved currently. Following the Chavo feud, you know, Eddie kept working in these opening matches, the cruiserweight scene. It's all well and good, but his ceiling was definitely the middle of the card. And it's Eddie Guerrero, one of the best wrestlers on the planet. So he was starting to get a little frustrated. He confronted Eric Bischoff. Uh, He demanded either a push or a raise, not knowing in order to get either, Eddie would have had to have a WWF run 10 years ago or be Hulk Hogan's friend. (laughs) And this leads to kind of like a blur of kayfabe and reality when Eddie openly rebelled against Bischoff on TV. And they even get that famous Brian Adams match, uh, August 31st, 98 on Nitro, where Eddie just lays down for him. One of the coolest moments in that match, Eddie gets, when he gets on his knees and presents his jaw on a silver platter to Brian, in that moment, the crowd starts chanting, Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie. I mean, it, it, it truly surprised me, and it was, it's gorgeous, man. It's kind of like the same thesis statement that I had when I was doing my Under for Life thing. Yeah. Glaringly calling out the fact, like, hey, I feel like I deserve better. Yeah. But the people that write people's names on a piece of paper in the back feel I'm not worth it. Now, you guys, you guys know. You guys know I'm talented. You know I deserve better. But until this one fucking person over here changes his fucking mind, I'm going to sit in the same exact fucking spot. And I could just go on and not acknowledge that because you're like, you guys should do better. You should do better. I hear the things and I'm sure people said, man, you're so good. They should do more with you. But I can't because one fucking person won't fucking do it and is fucking deaf to the reactions I get, is is blind to the reactions that I get. And there's nothing I can fucking do because he's the one person that makes all the fucking decisions. So, okay. You want me to lose? Well, guess what? (laughs) While I fucking lose, I'm basically going to wink to those people out in the crowd and be like, hey, you know I'm better than this, right? You know know that that one person's telling me to fucking do this. And it really does break kayfabe in a sense of like, hey, uh, there's winners and losers, and I'm slotted to be the loser all the time. They don't fucking believe in me. Yeah. You guys believe in me. And what that ends up doing is creates a rebellion with the crowd. And most professor wrestling fans, they watch for the rebellion of it all. They like, they like the rebel, the guy that's pushing against. So a guy that's pushing against the system yeah. is always a guy they're going to root for. So if you lean into that hard and tell people like, Hey, they're making me lose every match. Just let you know that they're making me lose every match. I'm going to lose every, every time. And they're like, man, that's fucking bullshit. Fuck them. You're awesome. You have now made a good guy and a bad guy, and you've become the ultimate good guy. Doing something like that is is basically what what he's trying to do. It's an age-old story. A guy tries to push against the system. 
And and Nick's uh the whole kayfabe mixing with reality. The story goes that or it it the story is true that when Eric was told from Eddie that he wanted the raise or the push, that Eric Bischoff threw coffee at his feet or threw coffee on him, and at the end of Eddie's first promo, he's holding a cup of coffee and he throws it on himself. Well, what happened is probably and I can see it happening. I've heard Bischoff explain it is that he had a cup of coffee in his hand. Yeah. Eddie was coming at him probably when Bischoff was fucking upset about something else. L- laid out the situation. Bischoff just wanted to fucking hear it. Had a bad day or handle the situation poorly. But what he did is he threw the coffee down and away from him. Right. But the coffee spilled out before the coffee ended up on the floor. So the splashback. Yes, exactly. Didn't splash directly at him, but some of that coffee ended up on him. So then, like, Eddie's like, you know, already worked himself up to to have this conversation, and this guy's his boss, and yet he's like, you motherfucker, you threw coffee on me, you motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Were you not careful when you had fucking coffee, like, in your fucking hand? You just carelessly threw it because you're fucking mad and you threw it on me? You fucking piece of shit. Fuck off. (laughs) Like, that's basically probably his, his temperament. Yeah. In order to appease Eddie, WCW gave him a gimmick that was originally meant for Conan, the leader of the LWO. And this was a good shot for Eddie to come in, do some mic work and show some personality. The Chavo stuff was, as a character, always entertaining. But some of the LWO stuff was just fucking hysterical. Yes. <laughs> like there, was, there, was, there was one where he made all the luchadors take their yes, mask off. Oh, was. God, it's so good. And he went down the line because he was looking for a particular one. He acknowledged one, like, you're not even Mexican. Get out of here. And then there's like one where he goes, oh, my, my people. And he like hugged him like, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, just, he had a different thing for each yep. guy. That was just incredible. Like, because it's all him. It's these these shadowy backs that you can't fucking see. They can't see their faces because that would fucking kill everything. So he's got to react differently to each one. Like, it's just this master class of just promos. And and it's incredible. It's, It's my favorite one. It's so funny you said it. I, I I rewatched that last night and I sent it to Nick and we both marked out like how fucking good that thing is put together. It's Eddie is fucking brilliant in it. I don't know who wrote that. I don't know if Eddie riffed it, but it is like a professionally written <laughs> yeah. comedy sketch. It's so fucking good. And I was also wondering, do you think Eddie screaming basically about a talent union to bring people together? Like Vince saw that and was like. Oh no! Oh shit! <laughs> I'm gonna hire him and then put him on there and protect him from that. But 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 actually, it's funny that you bring up the LWO where you take the mask off. Like I did a an inspiration off that. It was also a little bit of Christmas vacation where I had a deal where tent had a bunch of people in it and oh, we had yeah, people from Queens of Combat pop out riffing off of LWO that's riffing off of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation that that, that was one of the inspirations for that skit right there. <laughs> which if it was filmed a little fucking better thanks Seth Bowman uh, this is why I can't fucking trust anybody except Brian Penn to film me properly it's weird I just now remember what you're talking about I told you that was a good sketch that was yeah, good. it was it was it's fucking great because I took it stole from Eddie Guerrero and Chevy <laughs> <laughs> That's a good... Can't fucking go wrong nah. with comedy when you're stealing from those two. That's true. That's a good point. So the LWO would mostly feud with Rey Mysterio Jr. as they were desperately trying to get him to join. Uh, also tossing Billy Kidman in there. And they would uh, have a big clash at 98 Starcade. 
this is a huge put over Eddie moment, but the whole thing is Eddie isn't scheduled for this match. So he comes out and then Kidman challenges him or vice versa. I, I can't remember. But Eddie, his little, his knuckle lock where he runs up the ropes and does a flying head scissors on his opponent. Eddie does that in jeans and only one shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He does it like he's got his boots on and he's in all his gear. Because it doesn't matter what Eddie's in. He, he'll do it wearing fucking leather pants. The LWO storyline would soon be cut short when real-life tragedy struck Eddie in a moment that would forever affect Eddie's life and career. Following a New Year's Eve party in the early hours of New Year's Dave, Eddie felt a little hungry, so he drove to the store after presumably having a cup of Steve Weisers, and he was clearly not in a positive mindset. He was in the grips of depression, upset with a spot in wrestling, also having a little problems with his wife, Vicky Guerrero, who he married in 1990. Once he grabbed what he needed from the store, he took some GHB, five shots of it. GHB was at the time a legal supplement that helped you sleep, and it also helped you recover and grow muscle as you slept. So very popular with pro wrestlers. And if you remember from Rick Rude, had a big role in his death, and Eddie knew it would knock him out. So clearly depressed, he took five shots and thought, if I make it home, I make it home. And if I don't, that's okay too. Eddie would not make it home. He turned onto Highway 54, stepped on the gas, and the next thing he knew, he woke up in the hospital surrounded by doctors. Eddie had got his Trans Am up to 130 miles per hour, took a curve where the car flipped over and over and over down an embankment, sending Eddie flying out of the top. When police got to the scene, they saw car parts in the trees and a Trans Am that looked like a flattened Coke can. And the wreck was so horrific, they saw Eddie's body lying on the ground. They didn't even bother checking him because they were sure he was yeah. dead. Ugh. Following the wreck, Eddie would spend the next few days in and out of consciousness, in and out of surgery, fighting for his life. He had a fractured collarbone, a compressed disc in his spine, broken right hip socket, glass had shredded Eddie's left calf, and just to top it off, a lacerated liver. Eddie was never expected to live, much less walk or wrestle ever again. But after a brutal rehab, he fought back. And as he began to heal, they were like, okay, okay, maybe a year you can wrestle again. He was back at six months. And as, a, as a, much of a, a miracle as his recovery was, it was with great consequences because this is when Eddie's dependency on pain pills would skyrocket. The detail that I read that really, I don't know, set the mood or set the tone is Eddie said before this, he was curling like 40, 45 pounds, like just doing that easy. Coming back from this, he was only curling five pounds because every single thing he did hurt. I mean, to drop that much. I mean, I, that that really put it in perspective. He was like, yep, fuck, man. Well, that's what COVID did to my weightlifting life. <laughs> Did the opposite for me. I'm fucking crushing it right now. I, listen, hard times make hard men, gentlemen. Hard times make hard men. You see Jake doing all those push-ups? I mean, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did, I did a 250 lunges Jesus. the other day. Jesus. So. How long does 250 lunges take? As long as it needs to. <laughs> all right, fair enough. My lifetime goal is to bench press 315. The week they shut the fucking gyms down, I did 300. Yeah. And now I probably can't do 10 push-ups. I, I, I run around my neighborhood and wave at dogs. <laughs> I will never forget after this incident, 
he showed up back on Nitro. Yeah. And they had him do commentary, and I mean, I don't think he had even had a cast on it. They were they were talking like, you know, Eddie, you had, you had a horrific crash, and this is, you know, like you're lucky to be alive, and and I was like, oh, so like, and you know, I'm I'm a young man, I'm thinking car wreck, okay, you just swerved off the road and had a car wreck, and it is what it is, and yada yada yada. And uh, then, like, well, we have some pictures of the wreck. And I remember as a reckless 17-year-old seeing this wreck that they showed on Nitro and me going, holy shit, how the fuck are you alive right now? And the fact that he's like, like, what the fuck? Like, Like, they were showing pictures of something that did not look like a fucking car. It was like a fucking door in a fucking tree. And... I it, like it was, and it was just such the most nonchalant intro to the most horrific <laughs> fucking car crash scene that I've ever seen in my life. And Tony Schiavone just very calmly like, "Well, so you're lucky to be alive, Eddie." And Eddie's like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess I am lucky to be alive." I go, "The fuck you are! Like this is insane. What? The, how are you here right now? How are you walking down to the ring? What the fuck?" And then they zoom in on him slowly, and he says. Because I'm Eddie fucking Guerrero. <laughs> like Jake mentioned, he was back on air May 31st, 99. He was back in the fucking ring working again in June. He would form the Filthy Animals with Rey Mysterio uh, and Conan, which is a pretty fun stable. The one thing I want to say about his comeback match with Hoovy is at the very beginning of it, Hoovy walks up to him and hugs him like, man, I missed you. I'm glad you're okay. Everything's good. They have a little exchange of words. And then we're back into wrestling, and Eddie slaps the living fuck out of Hoovy, <laughs> and we're off to the races. It's so beautiful. They'd feud with the Deadpool, which was the Insane Clown Posse and Vampiro, uh, yeah. beating them at Road Wild and Fall Brawl. And then they feuded with the Revolution. It was Shane Douglas, Chris bleh, Pegasus Kid, Dean Malenko, oh. Perry Saturn. Yeah, there's uh, Asia was someone part of the Revolution, yes, too. Yes. I, I don't remember any of this. I don't know. Asia with a Y, like China with a Y. You, you got them, WCW. You got them. <sighs> that would lead to Eddie's last ever WCW pay-per-view at 99 Mayhem, where the animals lost to the revolution. And then Eddie's last ever WCW appearance would be November 22nd, 99, beating Kidman with the Frog of Thwath, baby. Then we get into Eddie leaving. He had again grown very frustrated with a spot in the company. Wow. Wa- fuck. Uh, Pegasus and <laughs> Pegasus, Malenko, and Saturn walked up to him. And the way they said it, they were just like, we're out. You in? He's like, yep. And like, that was the whole conversation. <laughs> That's the way it seemed from Eddie. He's like, you, you know I'm ready to get the fuck out of here, right? They went to Bischoff's replacement, Bill Bush, to ask them for their releases. And after an intern explained who these four strange men were, he granted them their releases. And they walked the fuck out of WCW. It's been covered a million times over in every single podcast on the planet. Bruce Pritchard can detail it thoroughly. It was one of his more successful ones. There's nothing that we can say that's any more spectacular or interesting or whatever. It just, you could tell that they were right there in the middle. They were referred to as vanilla midgets. You know, it, it just was like there was a ceiling because there was just shark infested waters at the top. They could have been happy right there in the middle. 
They could have been, you know, signing autographs with Buff Bagwell for the rest of their fucking lives being mid-card WCW guys. Or they could try and get into WWE as quick as possible, get in that system, and start having some, some of the best matches, the best feuds, best checks of their entire career. And get on the other side of the line before WCW just basically falters, falters apart. And with Eddie's exit from the company, we will wrap up part two before he heads to the WWF. And holy shit, two Eddie Guerrero podcasts in. Haven't fucking cried yet. We're doing it. I feel good about it. I I teared up on the ECW part towards the end, but it makes sense that I wouldn't tear up on WCW because, you know, it's (laughs) WCW. Checks out timbellpot.com, patreon.com slash timbellpot. Find us all on social medias. Please leave us a rating and review if you have a second. That helps us get our name out there a little more. Uh, Jacob Micah? I'm a pint-sized all-star because I spent $4,000 on a bed. <laughs> oh. podcast. Uh, please, as many of those as you could buy. Don't worry, I didn't sell out. Everybody's like, oh, did you sell out? No, I got 500 of them. And also, too, the company shorted them. So please buy them while you can. Oh, rare. Eat them. everybody out there how's it going you doing pretty good i'm doing pretty good oh my gosh i know i was wanting to remind you about our patreon if you enjoy what we do or if you don't enjoy what we do and are just bad at money management head on over to patreon slash 10 bell pod and there's all sorts of levels you can open up bonus content you can pick the wrestler is going to be next that's the big 50 dollar level and for five grand i'm sure we can convince jake to come wrestle in your backyard